man, you guys ever just flex? You guys ever just flex? Never. Literally never. I've never done that. Oh, it's a lot of noise, a lot less flexing. It's a lot of noise, a lot less flexing. You are, you sound like my favorite person at the gym. Say it again, brother. Say it again. Welcome to Footy Fellas. Welcome to Footy Fellas, coming at you from Chicago and Minnesota, both of these states home to a famous Max, and they both happen to be podcasters of the infamous Footy Fellas. What? We're going to be talking soccer, we're going to be talking life, playing games, playing mind games. we got a little something for you. If you haven't yet, throw us a follow on Instagram at FootyFellasPod. That's F-O-O-T-Y, FellasPod on Instagram. We got another very special guest on the pod today, professional soccer player and coach Madeline Keen. We had an awesome chat with Madeline about playing professional soccer abroad in both Iceland and Italy. Major differences between the men and women's game and some crazy stories you don't want to miss. She actually did have some pretty wild stories, huh? Back me up here. Uh, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't have done what she did and that's go to Iceland and then Italy on my own, um, professionally and, and play competitive soccer. Naturally going to both of those places is going to elicit some remarkable, um, kind of backstory. Um, but also it's, it's a good, and you'll get an indication from her and the way she thinks, like you get a good insight into what type of mindset you need to have when you're entering those type of environments, um, be it professional or just international. There's good. I mean, there's the baseline, there's the baseline hectic change, a lot of things just to adjust to and change in mindset. And then there's also the extra mafia volcano, just throwing out some keywords here in case you want to listen, listen to the interview. Um, a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of interesting stuff. What is the, I was trying to think of my own, craziest soccer stories or just life stories as I was preparing for this week's pod and and getting ready to chat with you guys. And I had a couple in mind and I can speak to one while you two think about it for a hot second, but I want to hear your, your craziest story. It could be life, could be soccer. Um, this, this isn't necessarily the wildest story, but the, my one most visceral soccer experience is maybe U 10 or U 11 soccer we're playing it's just like a local travel game playing in maybe norwalk or one of the cities near in stanford where i grew up and it's raining really hard sheets sheets of rain coming down just honing down in on us like like guided missiles and you're playing a lot of cod yeah i was playing a lot of video games at the time (laughs) and us 10 11 year old we're running around we can barely see I remember the moment I looked over to the sidelines. This is like, it was like a state cup game. I don't even know if it had some level of importance to it, but it w- it went to overtime, went to extra time. And I remember we we're running around just totally drenched little kids slipping everywhere on the field, not even playing soccer at that point, just playing slip and slide more like it. Mm-hmm. And I really remember looking over the sidelines and seeing the two small stands that were sitting there, the bleachers, and all the maybe 50, 60 parents and siblings that were there at the game, everyone underneath the stands, there wasn't that much room. It wasn't 
this massive bleachers, but everyone was packed underneath the bleachers. And I remember looking there and just seeing the outlines of everyone underneath the bleachers and no one actually sitting on the bleachers. And that's, that, that's really stuck with me. So just, that just kind of gives a nod to the beautiful game, you know? It creates communities under bleachers. That's what it does. We've all been under the bleachers watching, right? Yeah. Watching okay. soccer? Or? <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I will. Uh, I was thinking about one of mine uh, soccer related experiences that, that will never. That will never leave my memory. We were, so best friend, Nathan Devon, shout out, custom, Devo Customs. Uh, we were playing a game out in some suburb of Minneapolis. And all of a sudden, a huge thunderstorm rolls through. It was, you know, obviously it was very, it was pretty ominous, cla- you know, cloudy uh, as the game started. And we thought we could get the full 90 in before the storm was, the storm hit but the storm pounded us right at the beginning of the second half. And it was not letting up. This was a crazy storm. Sheets and sheets of rain coming down, lightning. They ended up canceling the game. I'm not, I'm not sure what happened. It was just a draw, I think, maybe. Put it down in the books. Uh, but <laughs> he had just gotten, his grandparents had just sold him and his family their Geo Prism. You don't know what a Geo Prism is. They don't make them anymore. It's an American car. Look it up. It is a 90s, I think it was from the 1990s, maybe even earlier. Um, it is a very small, kind of kind of crappy car. Obviously, it's that old. So we're in this car. It's pretty much a piece of junk. Grandparents just sold it to him for like, you know, barely anything. It was a, it was a high school car for him to get around in, right? So we... We go, we carpool to this game together, and now we have to get home in this torrential downpour. And <laughs> as we're driving on the highway, maybe going 45 miles an hour, just because everyone else is, the defroster does not work. The whole inside of the um, glass, the windshield, is all fogging up. So meanwhile, we both are wiping down the inside with rags. And we also, because to make matters worse, the windshield wipers are not working and it's pouring rain. So we have, we are literally hands outside of the car, wiping off the front of the windshield as as we are driving on the highway, going back home. It was terrifying. (laughs) It was terrifying. Not only, uh, you know, Devo is a subpar driver, so... (laughs) <laughs> to add this in was extra terrifying. We survived. Everything was good. We made it home safe. But that was an adrenaline rush that I do not want to relive again. I'm trying to picture you wiping the front windshield wipers with your you, – you becoming the windshield wipers with your hands as you're half in the car, half out of the car, and your arms just waving like windmills out the front. Uh, how did you stay in the car? Like what if you just fell out? Do you think you would have kept going? Well, we – it was it was a very uh, it wasn't a super full fledged wipe job you know wipe job we were doing on the front we were really just all right stick your hand out the window and wipe as you know as close just to get anything just to see anything a little slight window of of visibility so it wasn't we definitely did not have our heads or anything out of the window uh, but 
it was bizarre. It was crazy. That Geo Prism was legendary at our at our high school. It he definitely won worst car uh, senior <laughs> year. It was just it was just a piece of work. I um I've I've I now that we're keeping this this uh, rain thing. So so for listeners, if you stick into the pod and listen to the full interview with Madeline, you will hear that there are zero stories about the weather. Although we have we have kind of taken a tangent, up, yeah, yeah. We've, we've really gone the weather out. I'm going to bring us back to the soccer realm, and um, I think one of the I, I'm really I was trying to think of any international stories, but I can't think of any. But what I can think of as a go-to story would be like eighth grade or freshman year, one of them, probably eighth grade. I think eighth grade is that time when you're playing, and you definitely have people at different growth rates. You have people who are huge, and people who are super petite. And there, and there's no real equilibrium yet. And we had a guy who had just joined our team, whose name was Chidozi, uh, who was uh, an immigrant from Nigeria, and he was uh, like I don't know, maybe like six foot by six foot, like just he had fully grown, big dude, very very strong, uh, powerful player, and uh, he just bossed the middle of the field for us. It was great to have him. And we played a team in like the quarterfinals of state cup, similarly. And um, we were playing a team that wasn't as good as we are. And so they got very chippy very quickly. And they were down maybe 2-0 or 3-0, some point in the second half. And they just came in super late, hit a guy. And then one of our guys retaliated. And then they just, they were looking for a fight. And so they started shoving that guy. And instead of just letting it happen between those two, their entire team, including like their bench, flew off to run over and join in. Uh, to which, you know, a couple of our team, a couple of guys on the team, like were kind of getting in, in the in the fight too. And then like Moses and the Red Sea parting, Chidozi runs into the crowd and they immediately back away, all of them back away. And and they're silently all just kind of staring at him, watching, like, what's he gonna, who's gonna kill? Because he's so big. And then all of the parents, like they weren't doing anything, you know, prior to this like probably 15 second buildup. They weren't really doing too much. But the second that Chidozi started heading their way, all of them were like, No, Chidozi, don't do it. <laughs> and and the fight immediately broke down and people were given red cards and stuff. Chidozi didn't do a thing. All he had to do was walk in. Um and then we ended up winning the game, and Chidozi found the Ten Commandments, and everybody won. Fighting in soccer is kind of hilarious because it never actually happens. Like, I've never seen a full brawl, at least Preach. in any of my soccer games, or even at the professional level, you never see a full brawl. Sometimes in basketball, it spills over, and you see legitimate punches being thrown. Definitely in hockey, obviously, that's par for the course almost. Trying to think other sports. Baseball, you do sometimes see people rushing the mound, you see punches thrown, but in soccer, you never... The closest anyone will get is really getting face to face. Teams coming in, kind of like, you know, lightly headbutting each other, and that you'll get your face in the other person's face. But you never see punches and full team brawls, even though the bench might rush, coaches, parents, whatever. You're not going to see. I don't think. I don't think we're going to see soccer ever elevate itself to upper body tackling. It's all you know, lower lower body slide tackling shit like that, kicking. I don't think soccer players know how to punch. Uh, I'm ready to hear what happened last week mm. from Winter in our segment last week today, where he tells us what happened last week today. Alrighty, got five things to talk about today. We've got a couple non-soccer uh, bits at the beginning and the end, and sandwich that uh, with a bunch of soccer in the middle. So, first thing, we got the NFL draft that happened. Uh, 
I don't know about you guys, but I do not know terribly too much about the NFL draft. I never watch it. Um, I'm not really excited about it, but I want to review it because we are all NFC North fans. I'm just assuming you are a Bears fan, Eli. Um, I don't care if you're a New England Patriots fan, so don't tell me. Um, So from the Bleacher Report, we've got some grades on the draft for the NFC North teams. The Vikings, they got an A. That's huge. The Bears, they got a C minus. The Lions got a B plus, and the Packers got a C. So looks like the Vikings did the best in the draft. The Bears did the worst for these teams. So I think that's just going to be another dominant season ahead for the Vikings, and the Bears are going to be miserable uh, as usual. Second, um, okay. So from Ben Foster, current Watford goalkeeper in the English Premier League, he said. Quote, he's the best player I've ever seen live. He was effortless. Everything just came so naturally to him. These are recent comments about a teammate of his while he played at Manchester United. Um, Thinks he was the best player he ever played with at Manchester United. Who is it? Who do you think? It's not Cristiano Ronaldo. It's Paul Scholes. Says he was the best player he ever played with at Man U. Uh, Pretty much a snub for Cristiano Ronaldo. Sticking with Ronaldo, it has recently come out that he will fulfill his contract with Juventus and remain with the club until June 2022. And this is despite his 31 million euro price tag and the financial toll of coronavirus. Uh, It is said that Juventus directors and managers have an excellent relationship with Ronaldo and do not want to part ways. All right, next, and I think some pretty interesting news coming out. Jurgen Klopp recently called Mbappe's dad, uh, further increasing speculation of the French superstar making the move to Liverpool. In sad news related to this, Sadio Mane has been linked with a $150 million transfer to Real Madrid after Zinedine Zidane allegedly made the Senegalese his top target. Now, this is really sad for me. I think Sadio Mane is my favorite player uh, in the world right now. And to see him leave Liverpool would definitely be a blow. Uh, but Mbappe would cost around £250 million. Pounds, but Liverpool, in theory, would use the £150 million pounds from the sale of Mane to fund most of the deal. Uh, they're saying it's not really realistic that these trades are going to happen. Um, but Liverpool are definitely looking um, at possible replacements if Mane decides to leave. Here's my, here's my, here's my hot take on, on that. I don't think, and you know what? I let you speak. I, I let you speak with those bears, with that bears comment earlier, without without coming at you. But we're coming at you hot this year, Icy. Don't you think that Minnesota is just going to be fine and dandy with your purple man eaters up there? No, we're coming at you. All right, and we're bringing we're bringing the sausages, and we're bringing the brats, and we're bringing the mac attack. But more importantly, we're bringing uh, we're bringing this fucking tight end. We got like a random tight end from <laughs> Notre Dame. I don't know. <laughs> I hope he's fine. We'll see. Um, but I don't think Mbappe would go. I don't think Mbappe is coming into the EPL unless it's um, unless it's Newcastle. Newcastle. Unless it's Newcastle throwing down like absurd amounts of money. Obscene. You would better. never Obscene go to amount. Newcastle. Well, that's the thing. The only reason he would go is if the money was right. And I, I feel like as it stands, yes, Liverpool, I think pound for pound is probably just the best team when they're hot. Like they're the best team in the world. I cannot deny that. But 
I doubt. I just don't think that Mbappe would go there. I also don't think Mane is the one who leaves. If, if Liverpool sells anybody, they're selling Salah because Mane is clearly the real, uh, the real deal. I love that take. I think Sadio Mane is clearly better than Salah. Maybe not on the output, uh, on the output scale, you know, of goals. Uh, but I think that that just goes to Salah taking a lot of the penalty kicks and, and kind of boosting his his numbers um, from an output perspective. And last but not least, here is a nice clip fit for the times from SNL, uh, created by Pete Davidson and Adam Sandler. Enjoy. Stuck with my- Another quality clip from SNL, who is keeping all of our weekends and weeks, depending on when you watch their YouTube clips, very entertaining. With that, we're going to head to our first ad break and pay homage to our sponsors, who we really appreciate. And after that, we'll be back with our very exciting conversation with Madeline Keene. Be right back. We're tired of sitting at our kids' sports games on cold and wet bleachers on worn and grassy knolls, and on parking lots in the middle of nowhere. Are you? That's why we created Seatback, an all-purpose chair that travels easily with you. Take us on the go to your sports games, outdoor concerts, Shakespeare in the Park, and Civil War reenactments. If your kid is involved in one or all of these types of events, well then let me tell you you got a real special kid on your hands. Lean back and relax without falling over and embarrassing yourself in front of other families trying to avoid the exact same thing. You can use the backrest, the armrests, the cute little leg rests, and a very sneaky cup holder that is built in. Think this product sounds familiar? Well, Seatback is better than the rest because we also give you your money back. Get your money back with Seatback. Thank you, Seatback, for offering another inventive and very helpful way to attend your kids' sports games. Creative business plan. Mm-hmm. In what way? What do you mean? So we we buy it for, let's say, $20, and then we get that money back? Yup. Cool. So okay. how are they, how are they, are they making money? I don't know. They, they, we don't ask for financials. If any other advertisers are looking to pay us the obscene amount of money that Seatback paid us to read that, read that spot, we don't care what your books look like. Just reach out to us. So, honestly, we take anyone, even if, even if their their business plan is a little suspect, like Winter just called out. But I'll cut that part out. We don't want to say that their business plan is suspect, probably. So you're saying there's a pretty real chance that Seatback is a long, like a, a front for a large operation or eh, there's a chance. There's always a chance. You're Anything definitely... could be a front. Our podcast could be a front for a pretty serious operation. Yeah. But like, we're not, there's no money involved in this. I mean, except for the ads and, and the, and the weapons that we ship between States. But other than that, there's no real, Oh, we can't say that out loud. Jake. Oh, did I say weapons? I meant, we pens 
like little like little tiny pens, pens, little pens that yeah. we ship that have our logo on them, right? And cocaine. All right, let's move into the next uh, next piece. This week, we were fortunate enough to grab some time with Madeline Keene, a dear friend and uh, a co D three player at Wesleyan University who went on to take her, her love of this game and, uh, and turned it into a, a source of income. And she became a professional soccer player and headed out to Europe to try her craft. Um, it was an enlightening insight to learn about her journey, um, as well as get a, uh, a, a much-needed glimpse into the disparities between men and women's play uh, in Europe on and off the field. Uh, we look forward to more conversations with Madeline, um, as well as shedding light on uh, the game of football uh, from the various different um, angles we may not see every day. Welcome to the pod, or should I say, Benvenuta a pod, Madeline Keen, former professional soccer player, showing off her talent out in Europe for club sides. Uh, please let me attempt pronouncing them. UMF Tindestol in Saurkrokur, Iceland, nailed it, I know, and AS, ASD Catania Calcio Femminile in Catania, Italy. Before she was a uh, Viking clapping or grabbing a slice from Sazi and Sani Pizzeria, Madeline was bossing out the NESCAC as a four-year letter winner at the prestigious Wesleyan University. Madeline, it is both un honore and foreign didi to have you. How was that? Bravissimo. Oh. <laughs> oh. The problem is you saying that one word sounded much better than Max saying that whole thing. Yeah. That's the, that's the you, were, you were very close. <laughs> right, you, we're, also, we're... you also forgot a team. Well, what did I get? What did I leave the, off? The best team that I played for is the last team that I played for. is Pepsi League in Iceland. Grindavik. Grindavik. Oh. That's so cool. You just hearing about playing in Iceland. Obviously, we want to hear about your whole experience playing abroad and how it differed both from the U.S. and different places abroad. But just playing in Iceland, it just sounds picturesque. At least the setting, at least the scenery. Oh, it was so so beautiful. So uh, I, I played there twice. So first, I played in Iceland in Sauerkraut. You're pretty close. We called it sauerkraut just because of the way that the way that it's spelled. Uh, but Sauerkraut, and then uh, the next time I played, that place is like four and a half hours or more, give or take, north of Reykjavik, the capital. Um, the next team that I played for was Grindavik, which is in Grindavik, but then that's like forty-ish minutes or so away from the city center, so from Reykjavik. Um, like our main sponsor was the Blue Lagoon. Um, so most people know the Blue Lagoon, like the like the natural hot spring. Um, so it's like the like just like really beautiful area. And then we got free admittance into the Blue Lagoon because we were sponsored by them. So that was very cool. Um, but the like both times, like Grindavik is the name of the mountain that separates us from pretty much the rest of civilization. And Tindestal was the name of the mountain that I lived on in Saudakroker. They they'd go based off of landmarks there, <laughs> and even even in um, Italy, I I lived on a volcano. Um, the volcano's name is Etna, but the town I lived in was called Belpaso. 
but we lived like literally on a volcano with like six other girls. It's crazy. Active, active That's or insane. an active volcano? Active. It actually um, erupted uh, maybe three months, two months after I left. So, wow. I mean, I don't think there were, there weren't any like mass casualties, but it was definitely, uh, it was in the news. My dad saw it and he showed me and I was like, oh shit, I just left there. <laughs> Aside from aside from you know potential casualties due to volcano, I'm sure there were plenty of casualties on the field for people who played against Madeline Keene um, back in the day. Um, at and the journey, I suppose, starts back in in high school to a certain extent, but um, it, it then led into to college. Prior to your time at Wesleyan, I, I want to dig in with with some a couple a couple fun facts about your time at West. But prior to West. At what point did you realize that you wanted to play in college? Um, so I always knew that I wanted to play in college since I was a little girl. So I went to Europe with uh, my club team. We were like, quote unquote, I don't know they called it this. They called us like the U.S. representatives, U18, but I was 16 and most of the girls were 17. So I guess it makes sense. But um, basically we played in a bunch of German cities and then we got to go watch the um, of all of the games. And if they won the world cup, we are going to be allowed to like meet the whole team and all of that, but they lost and it was brutal, but it was still an awesome, awesome experience. That's sad for them. They didn't get to meet you. They just <laughs> yeah. They really game. missed out. <laughs> I mean, it was really, really awesome. And it was one of my favorite experiences, but I think it, it kind of maybe sparked the, maybe I can play professionally like that idea because um, growing up, I always thought, oh, I'm going to play in the Olympics one day as a little girl. And then it turned mm-hmm. to, I want to play professional soccer. And then eventually that did happen. But I think it really made it feel like an actual possibility for me. When you got to Wes, um, you majored in art history. Mm-hmm. And uh, you also dabbled. Did you, did you double major? Or did the Italian come in as well? Or, Focus or in that... Italian, not Focus in Italian. All right. Uh, why, why did you go with, with art history? Well, I grew up in a family of artists. Um, so my dad's a photographer and graphic designer, and my mom is a makeup artist as well as a painter and sculptor. Um, my sister went to Tufts with a dual degree program thing with uh, School Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Um, so I was always surrounded by art. My mom said that I was her favorite critic because I was the harshest. Mm. Um, you can only ask your children, still be honest. That's what she used to say. <laughs> uh, but I just, I, I grew up with a love for the arts. Um, I, myself, I used to take drawing classes and I grew up playing the flute and the piano. Um, so I, I've, I've always loved it, but then I also kind of felt a little bit of an aversion to it. So when I got to Wesleyan, I was like, I'm a neuroscience major. That's what it's going to be. First year taking bio, um, I, I turned, I changed my tune real quickly. <laughs> uh, and I, I had a very diverse course load freshman year. And actually every year, I tried to take as many different classes as I could. Um, but art history was by far my favorite. Even though the reading load was a little crazy, it was definitely my favorite. And then Italian, I grew up um, just with a love for mafia movies. And Robert De Niro was always my favorite actor. <laughs> So I just, I love the Italian culture. 
not so much the mafia component, but the family component and the food and yeah. Uh, Godfather one or two? Mm, I can't you one. Right, like yeah, two two is great. It you just it's kind of like by default you kind of have to go one, but it's not yeah. like two sucks. I need the I need the the origin like origin stories of superheroes and stuff like that like that's even if it's not the best movie i love like the origin the beginning mm-hmm. wow yeah. poetic it's almost it's almost <laughs> if we're, we're looking at a, a, her, a hero right now we're, we're delving into her past and getting her origin story <laughs> oh um, gosh <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> um favorite do you have a favorite artist uh bernini so he's of like from the Italian Baroque period. Uh so it's like mostly 1600s. Um he has he, he worked primarily in sculpture and I just think that they're very beautiful and dynamic and I think having a solid art form having it be dynamic is very challenging and he worked a lot with marble and limestone and I just I appreciated the art for how difficult it was to actually create it as well as how beautiful it was and what he was able to evoke from it, from creating it. It's mm, a great answer. So yeah, Apollo. And and Nat- you- that's the one. That's the piece. That's my favorite. <laughs> we're gonna have to. We'll, we'll have, have to look it up. Yeah, yeah, that's coming. That's coming along visually for us. Yeah. Um, could you compare that that artist to any modern or historical soccer player? Oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't Good know job. if I would compare them, but I think it did make me want to play in Italy. Just like mm. having such a love for the culture and the art and the food, all of it. It's just like I I jumped at the chance when I had the opportunity to play in Italy. And did did was your interest in Italian did that come from art or was that a separate route? Honestly, it's not as um not as cultured as that. I think it's just movies. That's where the Italian just the straight up came from. Just the mobsters. You just want to understand when they said Fugazi Marone, you wanted to know <laughs> what they were talking about a little yes. bit. Yes. <laughs> uh, I do know quite a few Sicilian swears specifically because I did. I, so I actually, the team that I played for was owned by the mafia. My coach was in the mafia. It was what? kind of a crazy, crazy experience. Um, so I did get to experience it firsthand. And let me tell you, I do not love those movies as much anymore interesting it's very real <laughs> that's crazy what what stories can you share on to, with all of our listeners that i mean that sounds super interesting what type of stuff did you see without getting into you know too many specifics or whatever you feel comfortable talking about but that was different or the same as as those movies you loved growing up as a kid um i did see a fair amount of guns not all the time and it wasn't like everywhere that i went but in certain settings when we had uh like kind of like a press photo op type of thing. Having like armed people there felt very odd to me, very out of place. It was like, we're just taking some pictures. Um, So just seeing guns, that was a little weird. Um, I, so the landlord for the apartment that me and at 1.6 girls, it was either between three and six um, at any given time, but because girls were constantly getting traded or just cut. Um, but our landlord had a key to our apartment and two times I woke up and he was just standing over me while I was sleeping. Um, So that was very scary. And we talked to the GM and he sent over some men to intimidate him. 
and it never happened again. Wow. So it's just like kind of different world. Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. That is nuts. Happy to be away from it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now that that's that's wild. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Well, Madeline, I know we talked a little bit uh, at the beginning about uh, Mia Hamm and and how great she is. Andrew, I'm curious, is she your favorite female soccer player or do you have someone else in mind? I would say Abby Wambach. Okay. I do love Mia Hamm. I'm so like proud of all of the female players because you go under a lot of scrutiny just becoming a female, just by being a female athlete. But um, like being called a lesbian, even if you're not, just because you play a sport, it's just you experience that a lot, <laughs> which is something that was yep. new to me after leaving the U S cause that isn't as much of a thing here. Um, but so Abby Wambach is, I mean, well, she is a lesbian, but she is from Rochester, New York. And that's where my father's from. And he, she trained under one of my dad's good friends. And I just, she was a big inspiration for me, even when she wasn't famous. It's just like, she, she always was kind of very, I was impressionable and she was someone who I idolized and she just proved that you can kind of get wherever you want to, if you can put in the work, granted you have to have the skills, but if you put in the work, you can do it. And she's just this superstar and like, granted she's not playing anymore, but I just, I've always idolized her. So she is my favorite. Would you say that you tried to emulate your game off of Abby Wambach? Or was was there another player? Regarding like Abby Wambach, Mia Hamm, all of the professional players that I do, I just think they're all so impressive. I think the way that I tried to kind of emulate them is to like, well, play, play like an American, <laughs> which might sound weird, but it makes more sense if you've played abroad, at least in terms of like the women's game. Um, you have a lot of, for me, like in Italy, it was a lot of girls would just try to dribble and take the ball down the field themselves and defenders didn't do much to stop them. But as an American, you come in, you're the reason why they bring in Americans over even girls from England, Iceland, other countries and in like the UK and all or in Europe and all of that. Um, it's because American players are known for being very physical um, so I feel like, oh gosh, I've gotten sidetracked. Uh, oh, I feel like, <laughs> sorry. Um, I just feel like I've tried to emulate them in the way that they play very physically, but they also play, they, they, they're very intelligent players. They really know what they're doing. They have a real goal. They really, they have a real method to their play as opposed to just playing as an individual and they just as a whole kind of helped fuel how I played. That's great. We, um, I think like we all think of ourselves and what we try to bring to the, to the, to the game. And, and um, uh, like, you know, I'm not a physical guy, but I know I can try to help orchestrate a midfield and, and to pull the strings where I can. Um, and, and, and I think of players that I tried to emulate and um, the other, the other capacity that I try to take into and, bring to my team other than what I do on the field. It's, it's almost that character off the field. Um, and, and I like to think that I was a, you know, a fun guy in the locker room, a little bit more of a goofball. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure in your experience, Madeline, that you've, you've um, encountered a ton. Um, 
uh, a fun segment we like to do on this uh, on the pod is we ask people to rank things, relatively arbitrary things, but put an order to them um, so we can identify what are the best of the best. And uh, I tasked you with ranking the best characters to have in the locker room, according to Madeline Keene. Um, We would love for you to break those down for us five to one and give us a little little background um, rationale for each each character you chose. Right. Okay. So should I, so five to one. Okay. So Marta, you know, the Brazilian player, she is just, well, she is an incredible force on the field. And I think just having someone like her out there who is never intimidated and she just, she plays against the best people in the world, but now she has been kind of declared as the best female player. She just doesn't back down from any opposition and she's just so impressive to me. And having a player like that, it just makes you feel, well, number one, like your team is going to be safe in that part of the field. You know, she's going to do anything and everything above and beyond what you'd expect from someone there. She is my number five, though. Okay. Um, Peter Crouch, the tall goon. Uh, it's such a such a pivot from five. It's I know such a pivot. It is such <laughs> just, a pivot. Just Marta and Peter Crouch hanging out. I just want to see them, just like having a good time, going to grab a drink, you know, just hanging out together side by side. I could see it. <laughs> Be like two people. He's he's crazy tall. Um, but so I I would choose him for number four because he did withstand some scrutiny. I believe when it was when he signed for Liverpool, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he like didn't score a goal for almost an entire season or for an entire season. And he just gets made fun of a lot. And it's just really rough to get made fun of by thousands and thousands of people and still show up every day and still put in all the work and still perform very well. He's pretty funny on his, I think his Twitter. And he also has a podcast. Is that right? Someone told me recently that I have to listen to the Peter Crouch podcast. So probably sounds like. Sounds like kind of a hoot as well. In addition to putting up with all that flack, he's able to dish it out a bit and and joke around on Twitter, I think. Yeah. So then Aguero is my number three. I am a Man City girl. I would love to have put him first, but I just couldn't. So it's hard for me to have put my first person as the first person. But he's just one of my favorite players because he's so tiny and fiery and you need people like him to pump you up and who don't back down from conflict, even if maybe it looks like they won't win in the in like a 1v1 because he's just so small but he never he never second guesses himself for for what it's worth uh i think that's a horrible decision having a man city player on this list but if you had to i get it i feel like number two is probably gonna be someone who's like what six five is that the way this is going right now are we going back up who's number two back and forth uh i have zidane because i think he's insane (laughs) <laughs> um, and I think that everyone needs a player like that out there and it can't always be the goalkeeper keepers have to have a little bit of a so my dad was a keeper in college um and he's even described it to me in this way he said as a keeper you have to have a screw loose because you're putting your face you're diving in face first toward people's cleats who are trying to like go for the same thing you are so you just have to have a screw loose there but I've used Zidane kind of in a similar way because I feel like he's just nuts and the headbutt kind of just everyone knows about it. It's just, it kind of exemplifies exactly like who he is. And I feel like just 
like having someone who's gonna like literally not hold anything back, put it all out on the field. I, I would trust him to have my back out there as a teammate. I'd be terrified to play against him. Not someone you want to play against, but you'd love to have him on your team. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I love that. And who's uh, who's rounding out? Who's number one? Who's the best person you need in your locker room? Um, so it's Rooney, even though he's, you know, man you, I feel like it's it goes against me, but Rooney. Um I just think that he's so talented and leads by example. And I think that's the exact type of person that I'd want to be the captain of any team that I'm on. If I'm not captain, I'd want Rooney. Oh, oh, what an answer too. (laughs) What an answer. Madeline is humble enough not to um, uh, have a completely city dominant, dominant list. Barely Um, city dominant. (laughs) Totally fair. Um, and then and then says, if Rooney's not captain on my deluxe team with Zidane and Crouch and Marta, um, it's probably me who's going to be captain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Incredible. I feel like looking, like thinking back about it all now, I've, I've noticed a theme. And it honestly, is in my top five, it's confidence because for women – being on the field, being out there, especially once you get to the collegiate level, if you have fans and then the the professional level where you have more fans, it's most of it's about confidence and just like not being intimidated looking back on it. It's just like not, not letting everything else get to you. And I think that is a huge, huge issue in women's professional soccer at the very least, because that I can actually speak to. Is that, is that talked about among the team either? Are there, you know, mental conditioning coaches that come in? I'm blanking on the correct, correct term, but like some sort of psychological coach that comes in or just among the players, is that really talked about? Cause that feels like a really key piece, both for individuals in their career, especially in the women's game, like you mentioned, and teams to be successful at that level. You'd think, but no, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. It's unfortunate because I feel like people play with female players would really benefit from that. Um, especially because uh, we mostly have male coaches and they don't understand. I hate this word, but the female psyche, I mm. hate the word psyche, but I feel like they don't really get it. Uh, which is why I went into coaching younger girls. That's why I just started coaching this past year. Mm. So I see the value in having a female coach coach women or girls that's awesome in order to really understand um uh a lot of uh who you are now and 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 your decisions um i guess moving forward it it would be valuable for us to understand um your time in europe and and also how you got to europe um would you mind explaining what what steps took place between your graduation and your first physical steps on european soil with uh with your first team badge Um, so over winter breaks, I would train with a girl, Tiffany Weimer. She played for the Boston Breakers at that time. I'm not sure where she's playing now, um, but I used to train with her and maybe depending on the day, it it would be like winter break. So we were shuffling off the field and then we're playing for two hours, but, um, we would play and I guess fast forwarding to graduation or to about a year and a half after graduation, I got a call from an agent um, who's one of her friends who she would invite friends to come watch the people who she would like allow to train with her. 
and then the agent reached out to me. Uh, and then four days later, I'm in Iceland. So it was a very quick process. When a team wants to sign you, they have a short window and either you take it or you don't. And fortunately, I felt like I was in good enough shape to do it. Were you were you intimidated by that that turnaround or were you excited? Uh, both. Definitely both. I was terrified. Uh, when I got there, I landed at around 11 p.m. Uh, the sky never got dark. And we drove <laughs> four and a half hours to the town that I was going to live in. And um, the next day we had training at 7 p.m. And, and you were just going. Of, like you just, you hop right into it. How how was it when, when you first joined the team? Uh, like playing style, personalities, language barriers. I can't imagine there must have been a, a variety of variables you were you were juggling when you first got there. Yeah. Uh, I wish I remembered the terms now, but um, I don't remember much Icelandic, but I started to pick up on it relatively quickly because you don't really have a choice. Um, up north, uh, far few people, Far fewer people speak English, um, and Icelandic sounds pretty wild. Uh, <laughs> but then a few of the girls did speak like very solid English, so that was really, really helpful. Um, that was a big, big adjustment. But then um, the playing style, uh, very physical, but also very fast-paced. So it was it was definitely an adjustment, especially compared to playing six v six on like the Brooklyn Bridge Park. It's just like that that adjustment was a lot. That was a big a big thing to get accustomed to very quickly. My first game was within six days of getting there, uh, and they started me at center back, which I hadn't played since high school. So that was it was all it was all very big and different, um, but it was. The food, I guess that's another big thing. Everything is fish in it. <laughs> Everything. So one thing they don't tell you, it's fine print in the contract. Yeah. Every meal you eat is going to have fish in it. Yeah. That's the one thing. I did find that I have an appreciation for a certain type of fish soup. But that's Can about you it. it. <laughs> Sorry? Can you pronounce it? Oh, hell no. <laughs> like, no chance. I can pronounce I like... the town that I lived in because I had months and months to practice did you feel different playing in each of those leagues or because it was a, a natural progression of you just moving further in your career it just it felt natural i kind of had like a step i had like kind of a ladder approach to my career in playing abroad i started with division two which is not really division two it's really division three it's division two division one and then pepsi league is the true division one the next team I played for was the next division up. The next team I played for was the top division. So it was kind of like, it was a nice little like stepping stone, but my first experience abroad was definitely, it was, it was more difficult than I thought it would be. Not in terms of like what was physically expected of me, but mentally and emotionally. Yeah, that's understandable. We chatted a little earlier about some of the, differences in the, the women and men's game and also stereotypes being an American player and coming there and having to play more physically, but more generally when it came to the treatment of women, men at these different clubs and the clubs themselves playing in the different leagues, 
what were some of the biggest, most apparent differences you noticed? Well, money, cars, nicer apartments, and better training times. Uh, by better training times, it meant that to fix all the divots in the field, they'd take, they'd give an hour to the people that did that. Uh, for and this was in Iceland, um, so we would train. This was with the first team, honestly. The second team, we had our own stadium, and it was very different. Um, but in in um, Iceland, the first time, it was like we didn't have a car. The men's team, they had two cars amongst four foreign players. The women's team didn't get any cars. They got at least triple what we were being paid. They got nicer apartments in the center of town as opposed to living up on a hill that took us. It was a two-mile walk to get to the gym and then another mile to get to where any of the food was. So it was just that was different there. And in Italy, it is far more drastic. Uh, the men were paid well beyond triple, like 15, 20 times, depending on the player. And this, wow. these aren't these aren't players that were superstars. They were played that paid so much more to play. So it was just it sounds like it was a completely different lifestyle in a sense. You know, yeah. being able to get around transportation wise, the pay, yeah, some of the field access, all of that. Yeah, we had to get picked up for every training session, and if people were whoever was picking us up, it was like someone's friend someone's parent it was a italy was a very different experience very different from what i expected they put us up on literally a volcano that was an hour away from our field whereas everyone else lived in the city center or closer to the field and we didn't even have a car to take ourselves there and it was it was pretty crazy did you so curious where the intersection between um being an American versus uh, perhaps of European descent, did you feel like you and your team were vocal about these differences? Did you feel you had any empowerment to be vocal? And did you feel um, that being an American in this mix made you more or less aware of these differences? Well, so it wasn't as much of an issue with the final team that I played for. I got paid better. I got the car. I got a nice apartment. It was I was treated more like you would expect a professional player to be treated. Um, in Italy, I spoke Italian, so that helped me to be able to communicate. Um, most Sicilians don't even speak what they would call true Italian. They speak Siciliano or Catanese. Um, so that's kind of mixed into my dialect as well now, which is unfortunate um, because northern italians can't understand they don't know those words they're not a part of their like vocabulary mm. um but basically it did we felt like with the first team in iceland the coach did speak some english and whenever we tried to voice any of the problems that we were having he would just look like he had no idea what we were saying it looked like he was drawing a blank and he would act like he didn't know what we were talking about and couldn't understand us. So therefore our issues never really, nothing amounted from voicing them. Did you feel like your, um, your agent had any, like, I don't know, responsibility or um, like, did they feel, did you feel like an agent has, because you know, we really don't have any insight into what the agent life is like. Mm -hmm. um, um, 
that they represented your causes and and um, stake off the field at all? So yes, they he, my agent in particular. I can't speak for all of them, but he was. He informed me that playing in Italy, there was a greater chance that I wouldn't be paid or I wouldn't be paid what they promised or I wouldn't be paid on time. And I experienced all three of those things. It started out with not being paid on time and then it went to not being paid my full like salary. You can even call it that because it was so small. And then it turned out that the last four months that I lived there, I never got paid for. Um. So what he did is he, honestly, he is like an untrained lawyer, essentially. He kind of has to seek legal action. He has to file suits. I mean, I'm sure he has help with that. But basically what he did is he helped to facilitate like pushing like through uh, through FIFA. It's like pushing the clubs to pay me. And if the club files for bankruptcy, then FIFA has to pay me because of the contract. That's ultimately what it ends up being. So regardless, I will see the money. It might take five years, but I will see that money. Whoa. So yeah, so I haven't been paid for that. And I also didn't get paid for part of Iceland on both sides. And that's That's very, very common. In women's soccer, it is still, it happens in men's soccer, but not at the top divisions. Wow. That is pretty eye-opening for us, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But he, yeah, my, my agent in particular, his name is Christopher McCollin. He's awesome. Um, <laughs> he was very helpful. Got to throw his name out there. I know we talked a little bit about um, your kind of like your experiences uh, off the field that, you know, living on the volcano and, uh, you know, kind of not having a car and kind of difficult to, to get around. But what other experiences, you know, being a professional soccer player in Europe, uh, did you experience off the field, you know? like social media wise or paparazzi media outlets, um, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, well the paparazzi was much more so a thing in Italy, which makes sense given the name. Um, (laughs) but so, I mean, honestly, for the most part, it was fairly typical, like just like pictures being taken. If you wore anything, Catania Calcio, especially being who I am being in Sicily, I am, 5'11", I'm blonde, and I'm white, and everyone there is between, like, four foot, maybe seven, eleven, like, somewhere around there at the low end, and, like, five, seven, five, six at the high end. So I I was significantly taller than most people there, mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, a girl who I played with in Iceland at the beginning, and then she came to Italy with me. Uh, funny thing, I reached out to her two days later. She's down there with me playing. Um, but she is half Chinese, half black. And she and I stood out more so than any of the other foreigners did. Um, so we got a lot of attention just because we were noticeable. And there is a lot of news coverage on everything because they are all soccer fanatics down there. Um, but for the most part, it was fairly normal just pictures taken, occasional random questions from people asking for autographs. Um, But there were some creepy things that happened. Uh, So we lived in sort of like a gated apartment complex, and that makes it sound nicer than it was. Um, But it wasn't very nice, but we did live on like the top floor of one of the buildings in this little complex. And 
we had like two balconies and one of them was on the street side and that side got the most sun. So we'd usually leave that one open with the window and everything. And it was just like kind of like a full door, but had shutters that shut and glass. But um, when we, we left that open, it was one day, like soon after Lavinia and I had arrived there and um, we had someone who had climbed over the fence to get into the community and then was taking pictures of us inside our apartment. And like, we're, we're all girls. We're all on the same team. We're all in the same locker room. So we walk around in like our sports bras and underwear and it's just like comfortable and whatever. It's very hot there. So it's just like, that's what's most comfortable. Mm -hmm. And we had this person taking pictures of us inside our apartment. And one of us, uh, one of the British girls noticed him. And it was just like, that was kind of the moment we realized like, okay, it's a little bit different here. And we have to be more careful. Jeez, that, that is, a big one. that's pretty terrifying. I mean, we've heard a couple terrifying stories from you about, you know, the landlord kind of yeah. being weird at night. And then this, this very misogynistic place. In. Yikes. Yeah. So, that, so, you know, it's good to get some insight about some tough experiences. Uh, but what's in your mind, the toughest part of the journey to kind of get where, um, kind of get where you're at today soccer soccer wise yeah to get to that level I guess it was honestly just commitment to play to continue to play even though the odds are honestly stacked against anyone who tries to do that not just a female player it's pretty tough you have to be willing to sacrifice a higher paying job a more comfortable lifestyle but it's just because you love to play so much um I feel like that was that's probably the biggest thing that anyone would need. Like you yeah. can get to the level where you get paid millions, but that's, or even hundreds of thousands, but that's, it's not very likely. Um, right, right. You still can, but the only way to really do that, if you're just kind of like your average person who really cares about the game and works hard enough and has the right type of talent, you can get yourself there. So cool, yeah. interesting. Now, what, now what would you say that was the toughest part. What about the kind of your favorite moments on this journey or your, uh, the best part for you? Um, the best part was probably getting to live in different countries and getting to, that was my first time actually getting to see Italy. Um, and it had been a place I, would, I had been obsessed with my whole life. Um, getting to experience the food, hearing people speak different languages. I never studied abroad. Um, my family, so I have Irish citizenship, which made this whole process so much easier. Um, being allowed to play for a different country as an American is more difficult um, because they're only allowed a certain number of Americans on the team. I got to experience so much. I love to travel, so it was it was really lovely for me in that way. Uh, the most if I had to choose one thing that was the most difficult about all of it was being away from my family and friends. Yeah. So many other challenges, but that was the hardest one. Now that you are no longer in the professional atmosphere, you are mm -hmm. back working with the amateurs, the amateurs. Do you feel <laughs> like um, you are now practicing as a coach? Um, um, how, yes, you, you, you teach tactically and, and get players better, but, but do you also feel like you're also perhaps learning how to connect with players and, um, and practicing those skills? 
Yeah. So all of my coaches while I was abroad were men. And most of my coaches, I've only had two coaches that were female uh, growing up. And one of them was only for six months. And the other was Ava Wesleyan. Um, so I've, I learned a lot from having female coaches and, ma- and male coaches. But the thing that I've really, I've, I tried to pull pull from each different coach what I learned from them and the importance of different different ways of coaching, different ways of interaction, and that it's not just, you can't have a blanketed coaching approach. You can't just coach them all the exact same way, even though that would be much easier. I, I have weekly phone calls or sometimes more than that with a bunch of my players that I have now or with their parents. It's usually with their parents, to be honest. Um, just to, to give an explanation, if their daughter comes home and they're just upset about how something is going or they don't understand why they're not playing more. It's like, I like currently right now, I'm, it's been taking, it's taking a long time because I have two teams, um, but I'm doing player reviews and I have them rate themselves. I rate them. And then I give an explanation of why and how they can improve and why we differ in this place or that just to really give a solid understanding. Because I remember growing up, not understanding, even at Wesleyan, it's like not understanding why I wasn't playing. Or why, even if I was playing, why I was getting pulled out in a certain moment or why I felt like it wasn't, something just wasn't clicking and it didn't feel right. And it's just like, I'm, I'm trying to pull all of the knowledge that I have from being a player into being, well, not to sound too, like, not even cliche, just too, like, hallmarky, just to be the best coach that I can be. What age are you coaching currently, or ages if you have multiple teams? Seventh and eighth, eighth and ninth. What's your favorite advice to give your your girls or anyone else that asks what it takes to play professionally and kind of take the path you took? To ask how you can improve, I would say, I would say, ask how you can improve, because even if you are the star player, you need to you need to know how you can improve because you wouldn't be the star player on a different team until you get to the point where you are named the best player in the world, just ask how you can improve and just be, be open to criticism. Hmm. I feel like those, um, there's so many lessons that I've taken. I really try not to make these things way too poetic. Um, but uh, I do think there's so much that you learn from being on a team and playing sports that translates and transcends sports and, and that piece of advice, that nugget is so critical for even the workplace and being able to Definitely. one, take criticism, the amount of people who don't handle hearing that they've done something poorly, um, you know, can not only ruin the product you're working on, but it ruins a team atmosphere. It ruins the collective will. Yeah. Um, so, so practicing that skill, I like it, it, that is so critical. And I feel like I've, I have, I've seldom do I ever really hear people bring that up as, as a practice trait. Um, to practice, to learn how to self-evaluate, be self-critical, and mm-hmm. um, and manage those conversations. Uh, Madeline Keene, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. We thank you very much for your time. Um, we look forward to learning more about your career and as you progress as a coach and, and how you learn to employ all of the life lessons that you've ingested um, and teach it on to the next generation of Mia Hams and Abby Wambachs. Um, Madeline Keene, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Madeline. Thanks, Madeline. We will now head into our second sponsor. 
Coming this summer is the much-anticipated back-to-work Human Hamster Ball. From the makers of the original Human Hamster Bubble Ball comes the new must-have item to get back to work and jumpstart the local economy. It's so simple to use, raves reviews. The spherical plastic ball is six feet in diameter to give everyone the much-needed space between others. Simply open the latch, climb in, and start walking. After an hour of practice, the spherical structure will feel natural to move around in. Get out and enjoy life again. Make sure to not be in direct sunlight for more than 15 minutes at a time. Reports of hamster balls warming up to 100 plus degrees is raising concerns for use in warm climates. But you'll never know until you try. Get yours today for the low price of $1,200. You'll be back doing everything you used to do before the pandemic. So it's like a, it's like a plastic, it's like a giant literal hamster ball. Yeah, it's it's a pretty neat idea. You know, I think they're going to need, you know, if this becomes the new norm to move around in these, you know, back to work human hamster balls, I'm thinking Congress might have to act and, um, you know, we need to have, you can't get up a, a step in one of these hamster balls. So we're going to have to change how our infrastructure, how we, how we build cities and build buildings. Interesting. We just have a hamster metropolis. Every with ramps and because I was thinking I don't know how I'd go through a door frame with a giant ball. I also think it is very interesting that you could overheat in that in that situation. I think it's going to be treated like a bike or treated like maybe a second car. So you'll put it in a garage or lock it up somewhere, and then oh, it's like a transportation device. Exactly. When you want to go out, you get in it. When you come home, you're not in it at home. In case that hamster ball doesn't give you enough exercise. We're going to be talking through a couple of very important exercises for you that you should be trying at home. And the Maxes are going to tell you whether those exercises are over or underrated in our critically acclaimed over-under segment. I'm going to throw the first one to you, Winter. I want to know whether lunges are over, underrated, or rated as they should be. Lunges. I think they're underrated. I've actually just started doing them after going for little jogs. It's a solid way to build up leg muscle. And it gets, it's a little stretch as well. So you kind of get both two and one stretch and strength training underrated. Love it. Jones burpees over or underrated. Um, they are, they're underrated. I think that so much of the activities you need to tap into to work out, um, uh, don't really hit every muscle group that you're looking for. And burpees allow you to get upper body, lower body, and especially core as you're engaging and getting up and down. It's also good in exhausting burns the calories. Big fan of it. Big fan of it. Lock on with burpees you're working out. Winter, sit-ups, over or underrated? Mm. These are overrated. Uh, the traditional sit-up is, is just not ideal. I think one for the neck. And really there are more core exercises that are better suited and, and targeted to, to get that core engaged and get that six-pack six pack back, you know? Definitely got a couple experts here, and I respect that. I respect your opinion on sit-ups, even though I love sit-ups personally. Jones, push-ups, your standard push-up, over or underrated? Push-ups are, again, underrated. I think so many people think that if you want gains, right? Listen, guys, if you want gains, if you want to get built in three days or less, push-ups are where it's at. Push-ups every morning. Push-ups in the evening. Push-ups at night. It will get you built like a house. <laughs> Winter, over or underrated? Standing overhead dumbbell press. 
standing overhead dumbbell <laughs> press. Yes, I know what that is. I pictured it in my head. Standing overhead dumbbell press. That is, yeah, I, I think dumbbells in general are a bit overrated. Personally, I think there's a huge, it's kind of like cycling, big hype around dumbbells. I think they're fine uh, in certain instances, but overhead press, I think is overrated. Because they're dumb. You could just say it. They're dumb. They are dumbbells. They're dumbbells. Jones, over or underrated? Jump rope crisscross double unders. Uh, okay, they're rated. They are what you think they are. You know, pretty standard. Nothing exciting there. Um, and after you've done it once, you kind of get it. Doesn't feel like you're training your muscle groups anymore or getting any more tired. It's a standard practice for for most people. So, rated. Very fair. All right, last two. Finishing on a finishing on a strong note here. Winter over or underrated? Bulgarian goat belly swings. <laughs> <laughs> Bulgarian goat belly swings. Okay, I'm picturing it as um, you're picking up a goat and by its four legs, so you're holding it upside down and you're kind of slamming it into your abdominal to really tighten up that core. Um, those are, yeah, that's rated. That's rated. I, I think I know what that feels like. And um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that. If you're listening, please do not try that at home. That is not what it is. Please don't try that at home, even though Winter is an expert and has obviously done it before. Last one, Jones, over or underrated, dumbbell hot potato squats. Yeah, so that one's that's probably overrated. I think most people are taught uh, dumbbell hot potato squats, uh, uh, or what we call um, D-squat, D-squat with potato. Um it's a it's an amateur move. It's pretty young. It gets you it gets you relatively tight and uh and and taut. Yeah. But nothing new. Gets you toy. Toy like a toy gun. Toy. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you very much, listeners. Now you know how you should be working out. Probably work this into your new hit routine and get huge if that's something you want to do while while we're all stuck at home. Oh, I'm flexing again. Oh man, just ripped through a shirt. <laughs> that is it for this week. If you made it this far, thanks again for listening. Thanks to Madeline for the awesome interview. We're super excited about all the content we have to come in the future, all the people we, we've still got to speak to, and you for following along and checking us out on Instagram. We'll be back next week. Adios. Deuces. We are the first 24-hour podcast. Just keep your phone all the time. <laughs> it takes so long to record. All right, let's eat lunch. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>